Just, just listen as I read. Uh, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to put you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on the hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. It's a translation by Eugene Peterson. I love it. I love this image of um, a light on a light stand on a city on a hill. Uh, it is community worship, though the kids have already left. But do you remember this song? It starts off like this. Yeah, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Hey, that's good. You don't have to stop. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. It's a little fast. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. It's my favorite part. Ready? Hide it under a bushel. Yeah. We don't have to keep going. I do love that, though. Uh, and this metaphor of city on a hill, I mean, uh, one of the things that I uh, loved about growing up in the mountains was that there wasn't a lot of light pollution, so when you stepped out at night, it was dark. Like, I was used to seeing a, a sky full of stars. Uh, and then, since then, I've lived in more populated areas, and now there seems to be street lights everywhere for something, I don't know, safety. And... Um, I just don't seem to experience the, the night that's the same way I used to. Sometimes uh, when Hannah's away at school, I'll actually go into her room to sleep, partially because Angel's kicked me out because I'm a snorer, but partially <laughs> because that room is darker and, and colder, and it's just a great room to kind of sleep in. And when Jesus uh, used this imagery of a city on a hill, there was not a lot of light pollution around at night uh, in the Galilee. Uh, partially it's because they hadn't uh, um, invented kind of the artificial lights. But they could have fires. They, they could have, um, well, they didn't have candles per se, but they had lamps. And um, most of the little villages kind of hug the lake, which sits down in a basin. But there was, there was one town, one small village, that kind of set up on a hill. And sure enough, if it would not have stood out in a remarkable way in the ancient world, where there wasn't a lot of light pollution. Something easily seen. So for the speakers, or for the hearers, that is, that Jesus was speaking to, uh, a city on a hill would have been a metaphor that they could have easily related. So he might have perhaps, as he was moving around the Galilee using this metaphor, people would have all thought, oh yeah, it's easy to see. You can see it from far away. But perhaps, perhaps this metaphor is theologically more poignant. Because in that culture, there's not just a city that's on a hill, but there's the city that sits on a hill. Like the city that sits on the hill is Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem was the, was the big city in their culture, not just in their culture economically and socially and politically, but spiritually, religiously. It was the place the pilgrims went to. And any direction you come at Jerusalem, you're going up. There's a whole set of psalms called the Ascension Psalms. They were um, poems or songs that would be read or sung as people made the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem became this symbol. So we know this basic idea that, that God kind of um, chose Abraham and uh, kind of said, I'll bless your descendants and I'll make them a people and I'll give them a land. You know, there's a lot of places that God could have given the ancient Hebrews that would have been really nice. Let's take Cyprus, for example. Cyprus is a beautiful Mediterranean island. The water is blue. The sands are white. There's not a lot of people coming by in the ancient world. Did God give them Cyprus? No. He gave them this little stretch of land, little land bridge, that separated the Egyptian area around the Nile and the Mesopotamia area around multiple cultures that had existed from the Sumerians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, Hittites, and so on. So you had two major seats of civilization. The only way you could get from one to the other, really, was, was passing through this little strip of land called Canaan. Uh, because around it was a desert, and you can't very well just move through the desert, maybe you know, in small groups, but you can't move an army through the desert. Not enough water, not enough resources. And so God says, well, maybe I'll give you a land, but I'll give you this one little stretch of land that connects the two most populated places on the planet so that everybody who's coming by will want to own it, will want to control it. Everybody who's coming by then also will have an opportunity to see a people who serve the one true God. Israel is like the ultimate lampstand in the ancient world. And Jerusalem is like the ultimate city on a hill. So when Jesus says to his followers, just you know, around Galilee, hey, I want you to be a city on a hill, he's kind of saying, I want you kind of collectively to function the way Jerusalem was kind of made to function. As this sign, as this signpost, as this symbol for God, or pointing to God pointing to God's faithfulness. So that's what we're to be. We're, we're part of that city on a hill, uh, the church. If we fast forward in uh, Matthew to the end of the gospel, Jesus has uh, been crucified, he's been dead, he's been resurrected. Now he's kind of standing on a mountain again. Matthew loves the mountain stories. And he's there with the 11. We read this as our call to worship. And it says, some worshipped and some doubted. I've always appreciated that about that story. So, I mean, these are the folks who followed Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They knew Jesus died, right, unexpectedly. And now they're seeing Jesus resurrected. And some of them worship and some of them doubt. I can appreciate that about the church even now, that sometimes we worship and sometimes we doubt, and all of those things are kind of blended together. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus now says, as you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep 
what I have commanded you, even to the end of the days, for I am with you. That passage has often been read, at least in, in my uh, childhood and upbringing, as kind of a commission for kind of individual, personal evangelism. So everybody should be an evangelist and everybody should go and say something. There's a, there's a couple of things that I'd like to suggest today. One is, I don't think we're doing what that text says. Because if it is about personal evangelism, then I should have been baptizing a lot of people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because that's what it kind of defines by make disciples, baptizing them. And I, I, uh, I have baptized some. I mean, I am a minister. But I, I don't think most people who practice personal evangelism then also baptize. Right? It's kind of the role of the church. And then also teaching them to keep the commandments of Jesus. Once again, I haven't done too bad. That's my day job. Right? Um, Kind of, kind of teaching the Bible. But uh, generally speaking, again, I don't think people who practice personal evangelism uh, think about it as kind of teaching them to keep the things of Jesus. So what is going on here? Um, I'll just say this. I'm not saying that personal evangelism is important, and I'm not saying that Scripture doesn't support personal evangelism. What I am saying is this, that I think that passage of Scripture is about something else. Jesus is speaking to the apostles. He's telling them, as you go... Make disciples. That's the only main verb in the sentence. I hate to get overly technical with you. But everything else in the sentence is either a participle or an infinitive. The only main verb in the sentence is to make disciples. As you're going, disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep the commandments of Jesus. So who's done that? I say... The church. The church has done that. The church of Jesus Christ. It's the church that makes disciples. It's the church that baptizes. It's the church that teaches. Now granted, we are part of that church, and as individuals we get to participate in it, but at the end of the day, it is the work of the church, not just the work of me. Because what's this about? It's not about me and what I can do, and it's not about you and what you can do. It's about God. Who does the church belong to anyway? I'm going to back up now. Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus has taken the disciples up to Caesarea uh, Philippi, and he says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ. The Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I shall call you Peter, the rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I shall build my church. The church doesn't belong to Phil. And let me tell you, I didn't know that Alex was doing that joke. That's awful. We'll, we'll talk about our policy of excommunication later. <laughs> Look, the church doesn't belong to Phil. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to any of us. The church belongs to Jesus. It's Jesus' church. And the church then becomes this primary avenue, this primary resource, this primary agency through which, by the power of the Holy Spirit... God makes disciples. Yeah? 
In Corinthians, Paul will talk, uh, talk about the church as the body of Christ. You know, the body makes, is made up of eyes and ears, hands and feet. And his point is, is that none of us are everything. Like this that you see in front of you is not the church. This is not the body of Christ. At the moment, this is the mouth, right? Because he's talking. And there are other parts that are the ears. And the other parts are the hands and the other parts are the feet. And the metaphor that Paul uses is, one can't say to the other, I have no need of you. And that's what I think is how this thing works. I can't say I have no need of you. You can't say you have no need of me or someone else. But together, collectively, we are the body of Christ. When I say the body of Christ, I'm not just talking about our fellowship of believers here at Oasis. I'm talking about the body of Christ that wraps around the globe. Right? So we are one part of this greater body of Christ. And it's that greater body of Christ, also known as the church, that is to be discipling. That is to be baptizing. That is to be teaching to keep the commandments of Jesus. Right? So this is the work now that we do. But how do we do it? There's a variety of ways in which we participate in being part of the church. We come to worship on Sunday mornings. We take communion. We, we uh, watch as, the, as, the, um, as new converts get baptized. We, we teach them the commands of Jesus. We, we serve each other and we serve our community. Right? We become the hands and, and feet of Christ in those moments, I think. But today, we're going to talk about taking that good news elsewhere. I was rereading uh, some uh, through my old social media, and I ran across a quote that I tweeted from Phil a while back that said, if the good news is not for everyone, then it's not for anyone. We believe that, that Jesus loves us all, that God created us all, and that Jesus' life and, and death and resurrection is good news for us all. And that good news, which should affect our lives, right, how we live with each other, um, how we allocate our resources, how we um, treat one another, how we treat the stranger, all of those things affect us and hopefully then affect our community. And then also, when the church is at its healthiest, not just our community, but a larger context as well. Today, we're going to spend some time talking with a few, uh, four um, groups or teams of Oasians who are getting ready to step out and take uh, the gospel elsewhere, uh, establish uh, the community faith uh, in a new location, um, not just as individuals, but as people seeking to take that kind of, follow that apostolic impulse to, as they're going, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So good news was meant to be shared. Uh, St. Simeon, the new theologian, said, no one can have God as their father who doesn't also have the church as their mother. That was a good one. I'm going to say it again. St. Simeon said that no one can have God as their father who doesn't also have the church as their mother. 
And Oasis, I'm so happy to say, has a host of folks that are getting ready to go out and establish those kind of communities uh, globally. So uh, we're going to start first with, uh, I'll make some introductions. We're going to start with, with Janice and Fred Blind. Uh, they are actually not getting ready to go. They have been. And uh, we're, we're so happy to have you part of our community. Why don't you just kind of introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about uh, where you were and how long you were there and what you're doing. Alrighty, I'll start and I'll. My name is Fred Blind, my wife Janice, and we were missionaries in Suriname, South America, worked with primitive tribes, uh, discipling leaders to disciple leaders. We went in 1994 and we spent 10 years there. Had our children during that time frame and sent them home and um, stayed there for a little bit longer and then we came back in 2004. Listen, we're delighted to have you as a part of our community. Um, and I know that you've already offered a lot of uh, guidance, advice, and support to some of, some of our folks that are getting ready to go. Um, so uh, if we start down on the end of my right and your left, uh, Lindsay and Tyler Smith. Hi. Hey there. <laughs> so you're getting ready to head to? Uh, we are going to Montreuil, France, which is right outside of Paris. And what will you be doing there? Uh, so there it's 1% Christian and it's a community of 100,000 people, which is the population of Lakeland. And with it being 1% Christian, there's really no church option. So we're working with a French couple to start a church that really connects with people where they're at. All right, that's fantastic. Uh, coming to, to Rachel Neal. So Rachel grew up at Oasis? Yeah. Yeah, as a kid. And then uh, went, wait, went away for a while, went to college. You have been already where? Uh, to Zambia, Africa. Right, and you're getting ready to go back, or at least yeah. that's the long-term plan. Yeah, so it's a commitment to Zambia, Africa. Um, we, do, we do unreached people groups. So specifically in Zambia, the gospel is wide open. The government's wide open, wants us there, and we disciple. So it's literally my job to preach myself out of a job. Because what Zambia needs most is Zambian missionaries. I mean, they need me, but at the same time, they need to be self-sufficient. So just preaching the good news, literally. How long were you there your first stint? Um, I originally was southeastern for two weeks, went back for three months last summer, and then I'm committed to this area for at least two years, but I hope forever. <laughs> gotcha. All right, we, we have uh, Joey and Alyssa Norman, uh, who play the bass and do announcements very nicely. <laughs> Today? Uh, and where are you headed? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Phil, I do love you. Um, uh, we are heading to Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean just off the coast of Turkey. Which God did not give to the Hebrews. No. According to the sermon. <laughs> and, and what are you going to do there? I'm sorry. <laughs> we, um, we are actually starting a coffee shop that will serve as a hub for any... Um, small groups that we may lead um, that will eventually grow into a church um, and any, uh, any kind of meetings or anything for the local community, uh, we're going to provide a facility for them to meet and um, try to just really get involved with their, with their culture and their community. And we have uh, Sarah and Greg Yarbrough who are going to South Central Asia. 
going to Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia. And we are not allowed to tell you from stage on microphone where we're actually heading, but we would love to tell you after service. We're going into what's considered a red zone, which means the country is open for foreigners to come in and visit and come in as professionals, but not technically as missionaries. So we have to be guarded, um, but we will be in a major city of five million people and 96% of them are Buddhists. Most of them have never met a Christian. Well, I'm happy to say that if the first Christian they're gonna meet are you and Greg, <laughs> I couldn't be happier with who we're representing. Who's representing us. <laughs> and, I, and I could say on a side note that often if I go out to eat in a restaurant on a Sunday after church, there are a number of people dressed nicely that I wish would not represent us. <laughs> but that's another note. Um, behave yourselves out there. So what I'd like to, and I'd like to just kind of offer this um, question up and let everybody just kind of jump in and turn. I'd like to hear about um, your call. Like when did you feel the, the impulse to, to go and participate um, as, as part of the church out there, establishing the church out there? Well, I know I was called to Southeastern. It's just one of those things that God put in my life. But I didn't know missions. So I was actually maybe where some of our C5 is at, of freaking out about what am I doing with my life. So I knew it was Southeastern, but I had no idea what my major would be. So I pulled up the list of majors and started praying, God, what do you want me to do? And also I was thinking, what would I enjoy doing? And I went down the list, and I was just knocking things off, no, 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 and then I hit missions. And I thought about what we had done through high school and our, our past and gone on mission trips, short-term mission trips with our church. And I thought, I would love to do that. But I thought, that's crazy. You know, my family doesn't do that. So I moved on, and I got down to the end of the list, and that was it. And I started praying about it and thought, well, I guess I'm asking you, God, are you telling me? So the more I prayed about it, the more I realized, you know, there's nothing in my way to go. But I was dating Lindsay for a couple years by then, so I thought maybe she better be called too, or this might not work, you know. Long distance relationship. Long, really long distance. Yeah, I don't think it was going to work. So, uh, so I did the manly thing. I texted her. <laughs> and I said, I think God wants me to do missions. And what I didn't know was that on our last mission trip that we were on in that summer, the leader at the end said, so what? You've seen this, you've done this for a week in Guatemala, what's it gonna mean in your life? And she felt the call to missions that night and hadn't told me. So we shared it with each other and that was kind of a confirmation of what God was doing in both of our lives. Mm, I love that story. Somebody else wanna share about your, your call? Yeah, um, I never really felt called to missions. I feel like I didn't even realize it until I was already deep in. And I was like, what's happening? And so um, I especially did not want to be called to Africa. It just was not on my radar at all. And I got a teaching degree, and I knew from professors that the one thing they said was, I wish I would have traveled and taught. Like, you can work with the government. You can do all these cool things. I was like, okay, that sounds great. And so before I left Southeastern, I promised myself that I'll go on one trip, like one trip, which was a big deal for me because it's not just me alone. I have a daughter. She's eight. Um, real tall, sassy thing in case you see her. A little tanner than me, but that's okay. And so um, I remember telling my mom, like, I wish I could go on a trip. And she was real motherly. Well, what's stopping you? 
I was like, uh, what am I going to do with Jade? She's like, oh, well, yeah. So I was like, well, you're out, obviously. You can't watch her. And so um, she was like, no, you should pray about it. And so I prayed about it. And God sent me to the Zambia meeting, the most expensive trip at Southeastern. I was like, Lord, what is this? And it just made me surrender and completely trust him because I didn't have any money. And I went and I just couldn't shake it. Like I came back to the States and everybody kind of went on their way. And I was like, but those missionaries, like they need us. Like we need to send them this and this and this and I'll pay the shipping fees. And everybody was kind of like, go on, Rachel. Like that sounds great. So I was like, well, and God, I graduated and I started teaching and God was like, that's great. I'm glad you got that degree. That's what I wanted. Now you need to go. And I was like, what? <laughs> so it just happened. Like, So don't count yourselves out because I thought I wanted to be a teacher and I'm glad that I did, but never once did I think that I would be a missionary. And we have like a retired couple in our organization that retired and God called them to missions and they live in Zambia now. So just don't count yourself out. I used to think when I was little, like, well, I guess you just kind of had to be born into it. Like it was something, you know, you just knew from the beginning. Everybody knows they wanted to be a missionary since they were like five. And, and that's, I mean, God will call you to whatever, whenever, so. Yeah, yeah I, I'm so appreciative of that. Um, because the text there in Matthew, it's, it's kind of hard to translate. I think I translated it as you go. Uh, it could be like after you go. Um, but or um, it could even be like while you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the the point that the, the command is to make disciples or to disciple all nations. But the idea of going is is one. It's it's more progressive. And then even in your story, it was just like well, I was doing this, and then and and Tyler's as well. I was doing these things, and as I was doing these things, I found myself, you know, being involved or or feeling the tug. How about you guys? Um, for me, I mine also started at Southeastern. Uh, so not a commercial for the place, but go ahead. <laughs> sure. Um, Sounding like it. Um, I was on a mission trip to Greece at the time. Um, I kind of got tricked into going on my first one, and then coerced into my second one. It was less devious, you know. But um, so I'm ten days into this trip. Um, I've been with no less than five people at all times for two weeks, which, if you know me, is like my nightmare. Like, I need me time. And so the first chance I got, I just kind of kept walking past everyone that we were with and walking and walking. And I'm at this beach, and I get to these jetties, and I climb out on the jetties, and I get to the fence, and I climb over the fence, and I keep just to get as far away from everyone as I can because I'm like, I'm so over this. And I'm just basking. Sounds like a nightmare. Oh, it was so great. It was, I was alone. It was wonderful. Um, But I'm in silence for the first time in two weeks. And I just hear this voice that says, could you leave everything and come back here? And everything got quiet. And I thought about, you know, I thought about my home. I thought about my family. And it was the easiest yes answer that I've ever had in my life. It was just so calming, and I knew that God was beckoning me towards this. And so I composed myself, I walked back, and I tried to find my missionary and everyone that we were with. And everyone had left, all 40 people that we were with, except for our missionary, and I sit down with him, and he just looks at me and says, so are you trying to come back here? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> he was like, so you want to come for like 
three months or like two years or like forever? I was like, uh, I guess two years. <laughs> and we started talking about... But there was multiple choices. Yeah, so was yeah. yeah I was like, I'll, uh, I'll go for the, the middle ground. <laughs> like, I don't want to seem flaky because I said yes. And, and then we started talking about um, what we both wanted from the future. And we saw so many things that we had no idea we had running parallel. And it was just incredible to see the way that we fit in with the ministry that they were hoping to plant. So if it makes you feel better, the Apostle Paul, after his conversion on the road to Damascus... He, he spends three years in Arabia. I figured that was his undergrad. And then, <laughs> and then he went to Tarsus, and there was a big university there, so I figured he must have been going to grad school. Uh, but, then, but then he ended up in Antioch uh, at the church headquarters. Uh, and, but his first missionary journey? Cyprus. Cyprus. There you go. All of that to say that. How about you guys? Tell us about your initial tug. Um, we both felt called to missions as kids in, in our own special ways. Her through a, a kid's musical she did with her church and me um, through uh, some kids' videos, the, the, the Life of Palm. And they had the, the Jesus videos. I was like, Jesus seems okay, you know, as a kid. But then Paul was like awesome. Like, man, I love this guy. He's like, I'd like watch the video over and over again, that in Jungle Book. And, uh, and I just loved it. But before we ever met, you know, uh, she felt called to Buddhist people group while she was attending seminary in Missouri. And... Uh, <laughs> Try not to get too emotional here. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> when Greg was in community college up in Jacksonville, he was in an American government class. And there was a man in his 40s who was a refugee from the country that we're heading to. And one day the professor um, asked this refugee man to share with the class. And the stories that this man had to share about the Civil War that had been going on for decades and the militia running the government and the atrocities and the heartbreak that was happening in our future country um, were just horrendous. The idea of having even a peaceful protest to stand up and say, this isn't right, what you're doing to our people would get you thrown in jail for an unlimited amount of time, no trial, Nothing. Jail. Done. No family. Nothing. Done. The military, if they heard that an area was harboring rebels or assisting the rebels in any way, people that were just trying to evoke change, make things more fair, the militia would come in and kidnap the women and children and make them walk ahead of the armies to detect landmines that might be in a field. And when Craig heard that, he was just absolutely heartbroken, and he'd never heard of the country before. And he started praying, and he said, God, somebody should do something, somebody should do something. And he reached out to his cousin, and he said, hey, somebody should do something. And his cousin's like, yeah, man, that sucks. <laughs> and God's like, Greg, go. How about you? How about you do something? And that's when he really solidified his calling to, to that particular location. And uh, then we met a few years later, and I absolutely jumped on board with it because it matched my heart too. Wow. Praise God. I, um, get it out here in a second. Greg's, Greg's getting on me. (laughs) Oasis, um, I feel that we have an impulse. We have a desire to kind of, kind of reach out. It's very 
we kind of try and create a welcoming space here for people to come in and worship God and to love each other. Um, since I've been here, and I've been here about 10 years, we've had other families from the group feel this impulse and go one place or another. I, shortly after I got here, Steve and Vanderlee uh, went out. I think they went to Haiti, and John and Elaine kind of went to the Philippines and other places with Trash Mountain, and I'm sure there were others before I got here. And uh, the church has also, in our history, uh, done the very typical thing, and some of you have spoken about it, kind of the short-term kind of group trip where a group of us um, got together and went somewhere and did a project and, and, and did that work. There is something, though, um, and it's not so much that we, we, we did it, um, but I think it's remarkable for, for a community our size to have four teams of people um, on their way uh, somewhere. And uh, this kind of congruence, I think, is just something that, that God is doing. Um, if you're not used to that kind of language, I, I, I can over-spiritualize things sometimes, but I don't think I'm over-spiritualizing this. I, I, I think that the Holy Spirit is doing something within our community and, and part of our body, right? Going back to the body metaphor, part of our body is the feet that go places. Yeah. And, and, and whether that's in, in, in France or Zambia or Cyprus or Southeast Asia, um, that's, that is the, the call. Um, I'd like to come back to Fred and Janice just for a minute. Um, why don't you guys just, just tell us a little bit about what it was like in Suriname. Mm. I mean, that's the deep jungle, yeah? Yeah, you know, running water is a bucket in each hand. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you get there? You fly to the city of Paramaribo, and then from there we would fly with Mission Aviation Fellowship deep into the interior. The first time I went, I... Uh, there was a civil war going on at the time, and so we had to fly over to uh, French Guiana, and then from there the Indians traveled down river, and then we took a week to get back portaging and stuff. But when Jan and the kids went, uh, we were able to fly in with Moff. Why don't you fill in a little more, Beck? Um, living back in the jungle was. <clears throat> It kind of reminds me of a little house in the prairie time. Okay. You know, we just weren't on planes. But um, everything had to, um, had a lot more work involved with it. And um, so for me, having two teenage kids, um, the, probably the, the greatest thing that I had to do, besides teaching them the homeschooling, was mm. to keep them fed. And um, so my time didn't get to, I didn't get to be out with people as much as I would have desired during those first four years mm -hmm. as it was trying to take care of two teenagers. And everything was time consuming. So it took uh, an incredible amount of time. Just cooking every day was like making a Christmas meal every day. Gotcha. And, um, we were you out did, hunting and gathering and uh, we, yeah, we let the Indians. Gotcha. We let the Indians do that. We, we would have starved if we depended on some other people in our household. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. So, you know, being, my, my husband and my son was such, worth coming to church for. <laughs> had great communicative skills between them when they went out on some trip. Fred's pointing to what he, his son should not step on, and his son is thinking that he should step on. And so he steps on it and ends up halfway down the mountain hanging upside down by a vine. And so, yeah, we were much better off depending on the Indians to bring us in our food. So this is good to hear uh, because um, 
you know, I know Rachel has Jade and uh, the Yarbrough's, um, I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, <laughs> are expecting. We got three days. In three days. Wow. The cat's done, come out, it's ready. Right. So uh, wow. they had to sign an agreement that nothing would happen while on stage today for us to let them up here. But uh, it, it takes, and this is a, another kind of question just at, at large, um, it takes a lot of bravery, I think, a lot of courage. Um, it's easier, I, I think, to stay uh, than it is to go. I mean, in some places, um, it might be, might be hard to stay once you get there. <laughs> yeah. So are you going to go or are you going to stay? Well, both. I'm going to go and then I'm going to stay when I'm there. Um, but there's a sense of, of courage and bravery. I mean, we talked about this earlier with, with Emerson, and they talked about it in Upstreet, about courage, and she felt like uh, they should help the people in Haiti with the hurricane. And so she said something to, to her Upstreet pastor, and, um, and she said, well, we should say something. And Emerson's like, I don't know, I'm shy. I don't want to. But, you know, we're talking about courage. You know, we're talking about being brave. And so, and so she... She agreed, you know, she, she mustered the courage, maybe. Maybe it's divinely given, you know, to stand up at eight years old or eight-ish, eight years old, and, um, you know, talk in front of a group of people about helping uh, kids and families in Haiti. Yeah, easier said than done. So I want to I commend you all uh, for your courage, but not just for your courage. Uh, Patriarch uh, Paul Vey, says that bravery is what protects uh, me from my enemy. But righteousness is what protects my enemy from me. And, and I see in all of you not just bravery to go, but a righteousness to go for good reasons and to do good work. Um, Yeah, okay. I just heard a cat meow. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to say that's the devil. We're going to cast it out and move on. But uh, um, I'd like to, yes. Just to follow up on your bravery, I think the greatest place where bravery or courage comes is reaching out to Jesus. Mm. Because everything else that... Their, their fields are all going to be very different. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be very difficult sure. in, in one capacity in one field than it would be on another field because that just differs with the people groups that you're with. But one of the things that we said to our missionary, former missionary there as we were talking about some of these things and, and Fred said to him, well, you know, the good thing is, is when I'm up, you know, Jan's down, or when she's down, I'm up. And, and he said, don't count on it. He said, there'll be days when you're just both going to mm. be flat out down. And you just don't, you can't envision that, you know. And bravery is just really reaching out to Jesus mm. and sitting with him because he's the only one that can hold you when you're flat out down. Amen. Well, listen, um, I would like, we don't have a lot of time, but if we can just briefly hear just a little bit about the particular work that you'll be doing in, in the, that location. Uh, either the, the people groups that you'll be helping or um, the work that you'll be doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks. In, in Europe, we 
thought it was crazy when they mentioned our agency mentioned Europe. What do you mean? That's where church came from to us, right? And they told us Western Europe as a whole is roughly 1% Christian. And in France, you might think, oh, well, it's Catholic, but they only have 4% actually attending mass. So there's 5% of the population that is going to some sort of service. And you have a massive push for secularism where you just don't need God. You don't need a religion. You just, you just need yourself. And so the city, like Lindsay mentioned, is 100,000 people. And these people, as one of the missionaries said, a lot of them don't even know who Jesus is. Uh, they did a survey in France, and you think, it's France. It's not in the jungle where you're on a canoe. It's, it's France. But they said that 80% of the people responded they had never laid eyes on a Bible, let alone read one or heard one. They've never even seen a Bible in their lifetime. And so we're going to be working with a French couple. And we hope that we work ourselves out of a job, that we raise up French leaders. And we hope that we see this city of Montreuil turn into a place where the church is growing and creating another church and transforming what is a secular nation into one that can be called at least a Christian area in a secular nation, if not back towards Christianity. Excellent. Yeah. Um, okay, in Zambia, um, it was colonized, so their national language is actually English, but you have to complete school to really learn the English properly. So within Zambia alone, there's 10 to 15 different languages, um, which makes it very difficult to move to and fro. So for my particular sector, we're in Western Province, and our organization kind of has a pattern that we um, follow where we'll send an expedition um, like, like the one I went on with Southeastern and many more. We send an expedition to a new area and we only send people where we can follow through because I think many nations as a whole, people have gone with good intentions and said something and left, but you and I can't function without church each week, someone else building. And so, especially in this you know, crazy bush wilderness. So there's a lot of um, witchcraft. There's a lot of Oh, Jesus? Yeah, let me add that to all the other things. Like, well, I have this for sickness, and I have this for that, and so let me put on Jesus. And so it's a lot of breaking it down to you don't need those other things. It's just Jesus. And it's really interesting because as open as they are, we as Americans consider them naive. But if you really think about it, someone who's naive and someone who is kind of hardened, like not going to be tricked, the person that won't be tricked like us as Americans also might not listen to the truth. Whereas someone who is naive might get tricked, but when the truth comes, they're so open and willing. They, they don't have anything to put in the way. They don't have comforts to surround themselves, to trick themselves into thinking that they're okay. I think that's what I know, especially when I'm in America, I'm like, oh, I don't need anything. Air conditioning, yes. And so the Zambians especially, if you show them who they are, in Christ, show them where their identity lies. That's really our main goal. And we have other projects that we follow through with, but that's what we do first and foremost. Because you can give someone something all day long, but if it's like, a, it's like the poison tree. Um, if the tree has bad fruit, you can pick the bad fruit, but the bad fruit will keep coming if the roots are poisoned. And so for us, it's trying to get them to know who they are and let them share it. And oh my gosh, it catches like fire. They'll come back and say, I told, my, I told my house, we're all saved. 
and you're like, what? You did that? <laughs> like, yes, that is so good. And you just, I mean, it's just, it's hard to comprehend because they're so open and um, it's just, they're amazing people. That's great. Um, like most of Europe, Cyprus is what we would call spiritually homeless, you know. Um, so we want to go. Cyprus, Europe, or Asia? It's Europe, is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's off the coast of Turkey, but it's the southernmost part of Europe. And so being the first point outside of Asia and Africa into the Union, it also has a problem with like refugee relief and human trafficking. And mm. we want to go and focus on those things in addition to building a table for the international community that's there that's looking for a spiritual home. Mm. So we want to go and just kind of be two hands, you know, laying the foundation of the kingdom. And the I love it. Yep. Um, you know, we can't be openly missionaries where we're going, so um, we're going in as English teachers, um, teaching English as a second language. Uh, so, you know, our hope is that we can build relationships with the kids and the teenagers that we're teaching, and if we don't scare them away by our crazy Americanness, um, that they will invite us into their homes, and, you know, that way we can establish relationships with the actual parents and, and you know, share Christ uh, through that means um, after, you know, learning their culture and learning the language, which is fun. It looks like spaghetti, uh, the writing, um, but uh, literally. But it's, uh, you know, that's, that's our hope because, you know, it's, a, it's a, a nation where education used to be a very big, big deal, but because of the decades of military rule, it's, it's kind of been thrown out, and, you know, it's not uncommon for a kid to go to school for a year or two and then already go to the workforce at you know, seven years of age, which is insane to me, but... And something that we will be addressing is child soldiers that have been, you know, their childhood's been stolen by the militia um, to go out and fight the war that, thank God, is now subsided. Um, so we'll be reaching out to those kids that feel like their future is already gone um, and reaching into families. Buddhism really offers no hope. It's a culture that embraces tranquility, but without Christ, you can't have true peace. And so their intrigue with American culture and wanting to open up to the rest of the world um, is going to be our stepping stone into their homes and inviting them into our home and saying, let's teach you about Christmas. Let's teach you about Easter. Let's teach you about these things that are cultural, but it's actually a, an open door to tell them about Christ. As we uh, get ready to close our service, we're going to do a couple of things. Um, we're going to have a prayer of blessing and commissioning. Uh, Janice, Fred, and I are going to uh, pray for, for these um, people, our people, fellow Oasians. And then uh, we're gonna, they're going to step down uh, to these tables uh, here at the front. And we're going to invite you to come and uh, share your contact information, um, your support, your prayers. But let me be very clear clear as I can be. In order for these people to do what God has called them to do, they need financial support. And the way that works, uh, you know, it could be $20 a month, uh, $50 a month, $100 a month. It could be a one-time gift. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't work without that. And um, we're kind of all called because we are all a part of the church. And your, your part of the body, uh, the part of the body that you are, that is, might not ever end up going to, to France or to Zambia, to Cyprus, 
or to Southeast Asia uh, or to Suriname. Um, but you can help that part of the body get there. So they might be the hands and feet. Uh, we might be the arms and legs. So uh, if you guys will come. Right here. Fred, I'll ask you to start us, start us up. Papa, we, we love you and praise you. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent your son Jesus to be the first missionary. And when he went, he went uh, proclaiming the kingdom, proclaiming you, uh, the joy that has existed in the Trini Trinity uh, since eternity first began. He did that by his words, by his actions, by his love, by his reactions. And so we pray that you would empower these folks who are standing up before the body here to go forth and not just proclaim Christ with their lips, but their very essence, their being, their reactions would proclaim you in the love of Christ. As St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times and sometimes even use words. We know that there'll be struggles, uh, times when uh, they have no place else to turn. So direct them to have the courage, as Jan said earlier, to turn to you. Thank you that the, you are the author and the finisher of their faith and the faith of those who will come to know you. Father, I thank you so very much for each one that stands here today with the willingness of heart and the love and heart to go out and further your kingdom by sharing the good news of your son. I pray that you would give them eyes to see, eyes of their hearts that would be open, just as Elisha was with his servant, and he got scared because of the army that was coming down from the Philistines. And as Elisha prayed for their eyes, his eyes to be open, he can see what you were doing <clears throat> and how, <clears throat> how you were preparing to protect them. Give them eyes that are open in such manners that they will see what you're doing in the land and the host countries that you're bringing them to so they may be, be able to participate with you for your kingdom's sake and your son's name. And now, Heavenly Father, we bless our brothers and sisters. As they go, Lord, we pray that you would provide for them. And as they make disciples of all nations, we pray that your spirit would empower them, that your church would go forth, and that the very gates of hell would not be able to withstand it. In Jesus' name. Amen.